think if there was any doubt in any of our 15 listeners' minds that we maybe rig the chain, like, does this are like does this current chain argue for or against that? Because <laughs> we just we continue to roll into things. We do that not only hit current events but also like very tragic quote unquote losses. This isn't a loss yet as of time, the time of recording, but yeah. <laughs> uh, so we, I, the first one that happened was we almost, I was very close to pulling Leota as a chain. And then like weeks later he died. Um, so yeah, our last actress that the, we chose, the actress of this chain is of this chain, right? Is Anne Heche. Who we like kind of we kind of didn't uh, on the there goes my baby episode we we picked her. Uh, I I want to state at this current juncture that for the record, uh, when I stated that uh, the Anne Anne Hache as a choice for this podcast bored me, uh, that was recorded prior to the events of Friday. Right. Uh, for those <laughs> of you who have not been following the news, we a little bit of a peek behind the curtain. We are recording this on August 9th. So the way that we do things is we record two episodes at a time, obviously complete a chain and then move on. So when we recorded the last episode, which I believe was July 22nd, um, this was not this was not a thing. So two weeks later, in between the release of our episodes of The Crew and There Goes My Baby, uh, as Nick alluded to, uh, Anne Heche was just in a tragic crash. Yeah. Um, she is in severe burn... Uh, ward hospital state right now. Um, seems like her condition kind of fluctuates every day. Yeah, there's not a lot of info on it. There's also not a lot of info on um, the why of it. There's intoxication seemingly is a factor, but like there's not a lot of info on on it. And um, it's weird because it's not just it wasn't just a, like a story about an actress that happened that we oh we happened to talk about them like. The cover, it was, this was a very unusual, it was a very unusual and intense event. And the coverage of it compounds that because there's a lot of specific jarring video about this. Video of the, of like cars speeding by and video of like the car being out and photos of like the crash site and like her being wheeled in an ambulance and stuff. And like, it's just like, there's a lot of, you know, like those stories where sometimes like, you're like TMZ got like a lot of, or like Daily Mail got like a, there's like a lot of, this is a very covered event. So it's kind of weird that like. Yeah, Anne Heche is a recognizable name. I would not say she is a household name. I, there were two celebrity stories that dominated the weekend. It was the Anne Heche incident and Kim K. And, and Will Smith hitting Chris Rock. Oh. No, no, like this weekend. Yeah, I know. Kim K, Kim K and Pete calling it quits. Yeah, and then so. according to Kanye, Pete is dead. Yeah. So <laughs> something about Kid Cudi, too. Um, yeah. So we'll be pulling Pete on this chain. And uh... there's a lot of discussion of Anne Heche, her own personal background. There is discussion of whether she was mentally ill, whether she had substance abuse. It's a horrible story all around. Um, Nick and I started discussing this the moment I saw the Variety report on Friday, uh, whether we should continue with this chain. We'd both already watched <clears throat> both movies. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't we discussed like would it seem kind of lazy if we continue to go on on this path because just of convenience of the fact that we'd already watched these movies. Like, should we continue to talk about something that is so loaded in the media right now? Because, yeah, like we literally like we have no idea how this is going to play out. Like, like I said, there one day she's in stable condition and then another day she's in super 
extra critical condition. Like we don't know. Burns are very yeah. fickle. Yeah. Um, but I think we decided, and you can add a little bit more perspective to your point of view on this, but I, at least in my mind, it would be good to talk about her career in some kind of context. So we'll get two chances to do that. You know? Yeah, totally. Again, we did not rig this. Like it just happened. It, I would, I wish we rigged it because the fact that we didn't to me points to the fact that this podcast might be cursed. Um, and I, I think, uh, Anytime we pull a chain, you know, like when, you know, when whenever a series of celebs that are tangentially related to each other pass, somebody's like, is anybody checking on this guy? Everybody's like, is anybody checking on Joe Pesci? I think when we pull an actress from now on or an actor from now on, maybe, um, do we have it in the budget to like get some security? Somebody do a house call. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, but seriously it is. Yeah. It's, I think it would be nice to talk about her and learn about her. Um, I mean, she faces she faces charges like legitimate misdemeanor DWI hit and run. Yeah, if, the whole if she makes it through. Yeah, this the the event itself is like it's just like you said, it's just really bad and dark. Like it is just it seems that there's mental illness involved, and it seems like that drove her to to think that is that she is at fault, and like it's made easier by the fact that nobody else was hurt. So like there is no. But there yeah. were a lot of innocent people at risk, like you were saying. Yeah, I mean, I mean, what's coming out now is like she was driving this way for like an hour. There were like people, there were you know, there's video of her almost hitting people and stuff like that. So it obviously, let alone, I mean, the house crashed into firefighters have to respond to it and stuff like that. But yeah. um, it just, it's I more than anything, my takeaway was like this is weird that in in my life. That's not a common name that comes up in Asia. And now it comes up on, we pull it, and then all of a sudden there's this, like, story about it. Um, yeah. So listen, I mean, like, we're two guys with a podcast. Nobody needs our take on this. But, like, we would not be talking about this if she was not directly involved with the next three episodes we're going to do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But four episodes, actually, probably, if yeah. you count the beginning of the next chain and the the. F- preceding movie i wouldn't say chain. nobody needs our take on things um what they don't i think i think the cultural temperature largely rests on what's said here um i would firmly disagree with that would you yeah the birds sat through two hours of <laughs> us last time and have left <laughs> they migrated south three months early just to be away from our takes you okay yeah sorry my phone's ringing <laughs> yes mr biden hi no yeah we've addressed it okay I'm sure you look forward to listening. Thank you. Sorry, just hang up. So what were you saying about us not being relevant? Which which Biden, Hunter? <laughs> um, um, one other um, weird, um, what's, the, what's, what's, what's the negative version of serendipity? Because that's what I wanted to use for the beginning of this. But one other weird and better serendipitous moment about pulling Anne Hesh in this chain is we're going from Dermot Mulroney to Anne Hesh. And Hesh. I we just learned. I just learned that it's Hesh, not Hesh. So I'm gonna be saying Hesh H- a lot. Hesh. Yeah. Yeah. I. I again. I probably would have been a little flippant about it if nothing happened. But I think we need to get it correct. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. Anyway, we're going from Dermot Mulroney to Anne Hesh. Um. Um. In two movies, those movies being. Um. I should probably know this off the top of my head. My best friend's wedding and Against the Wall. Uh, but what's crazy is one of the last projects that Anne Heche filmed recently 
is a movie co-starring with Dermot Mulroney. So if this episode were recorded a year later, <laughs> um, that movie would be out. I think it's supposed to come out. It's supposed to come out within the year, I believe. They wrapped shooting on it. Um, maybe not anymore. We'll see. <laughs> or or maybe. So like if she makes it through this, it's a matter of whether, you know, like it's it's a PR thing. Like, right. Does this attract more attention? Right. Or and it seems to be a lower budget project, too. Yeah. So which which I mean, again, it, it, things like this drinking and driving again, not a hot take, but just uh, it just affects so many people on yeah, so many spectrums. There's such a ripple effect. Like what if crew members of that movie never get paid or something like that because of repercussions of it not being released or something like that i mean yeah the crew members so, in the production got paid but you know what i mean like yeah it's one of those that's just like largely you know i don't know what the right word is for it if unforgivable is the right word but like it is certainly it's it's just such like it's one of the worst things it's just one of the shittiest things yeah yes drink and drive you know I, um i i think i think we've spent enough time on this um so you can all kind of pinpoint and I think so clip too. this little section and keep it in mind for the next couple of weeks when we talk about Anna Heche. Obviously, if there's a major update, um, we'll talk about it probably yeah. at the beginning of two chains from now. Um, I, I really hope we don't have to do like an obit and also review of a movie that maybe we have no idea what it's going to be. So, yeah, that's yeah. Uh, OK, so that kind of uh, addresses the elephant in the room for us, at least. Uh, welcome to the Cinema Chain Gang podcast. You've been listening to, to myself, Andrew Roger, and that was Nick Ricardo. And Nick kind of subtly set up the newest chain, which is number 13, right? Which is, now that I say that out loud, unlucky number 13. If this is episode 25. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. We have, oh. another, we have another twofer. We haven't done anything past a twofer. Uh, we have Dermot Mulroney, who we last saw. I don't in, think we've done two for Grace yet. We have Dermot Mulroney, who we saw... <laughs> And there goes my baby last week. Uh, he is in my best friend's wedding. Um, and we are going to. Oh, really? How's he know him? Oh, my <laughs> God. <laughs> my best friend's wedding <laughs> straight to. We're coming out of a sad segment. I got to make up time here. <laughs> my best friend's wedding. And then next week we will talk about the HBO drama Against the Wall, which has Anne Heche in it. Um, I, I cannot for the life of me remember the connector person. Uh, the connector person. In this is, you know what? I don't either. <laughs> I, one of us should probably look it up. Yeah, we'll look it up. Um, but that's going to be our chain for the next couple of episodes. My best friend's wedding, kind of a uh, kind of a fun movie to talk about, which contrasts the really down <clears throat> start we had to this. But first, as Nick looks up the rest of the chain and kind of completes the my uh, thought. the connecting person. Now I remember Philip Bosco. Sounds like a fake name. It's a real name, but it makes me think. Well, I already said this. Makes me think of Seinfeld. Seinfeld, yep. Um, Bosco. Righty, let's get into it. Well, let's talk about what we've been watching. Oh, yeah, let's do that instead. Yeah. Did you forget that we do that? Yep. Um, I'm actually excited. This will be the easiest segment um, to prepare for from now on because you just told me about a TV tracking app that now I'm like all kinds of, I'm logging all my stuff on. Yeah. So the Cinema Machine Gang podcast is brought to you by the T. Te- now I wish. <laughs> uh, it, yeah, there's this app called the TV Time app for those of you who are interested. Um, basically, what you do is you go through and you log. You can log as any any shows you've ever seen. So, for example, if you've seen all of Friends, you can log all 10 seasons of Friends. If you've seen five episodes of Friends, you can log those five episodes. If you've seen five seasons, three episodes of Friends, you can log up to that point. Yeah. And, and what it does, it does a couple things. 
Um, one, as Nick kind of mentioned there, uh, it tells you how much TV you've watched in your life, which some people have vehemently re rejected the idea of seeing <laughs> and have not downloaded the app like my girlfriend. Yeah, uh, I'm she, not, I don't want to know because my fear, I'm 30. My fear is that that number is 31 years. <laughs> and the number doesn't include like rewatches. Rewatches. So you can log rewatches, but I would not, I don't even, I don't know how many times I've seen many series, you know? I am without a doubt an above average TV guy, but I would not say I'm, I'm a movie first guy. And and this app tells me that I've watched nine months of TV, a full pregnancy of TV wow. in my lifetime. Nine months, 18 days, 20 hours, roughly. So about 14,000 episodes of TV. This is including, you know, like every episode of Family Guy, full seasons of SNL, stuff like that. So things that really, you know, buff up the fat as much yeah. like a lot of I, I logged everything from like as many Spongebob episodes as I remember too. I actually just that's the last thing I did was I looked up when you texted me saying you're on your way over to record. I was looking up when did I fall off of Spongebob as a kid? The one other thing I'm also logging on it just for my own. Obviously, I can't log every late night episode I've seen, but I want to log premieres and finales of late night. Um, and I also logged because I was proud that I did it um, or self-hating that I did it. I watched the first 100 episodes straight of Conan's TBS show. Uh, yeah. So I made a, I made a point to log those. Yeah, like, I didn't really I, I haven't even unpacked late night TV. Yeah. But yeah, you can log every single episode if you wanted to. But um, uh, it, it is um, it's like Letterboxd TV. I, the one other thing I was saying this is I, I um, I'm kind of mad um, because I signed up for Letterboxd years ago. And then I was like, eh, nobody has it. And then I deleted it. Um, years later, you got letterboxed. You got everybody you know to sign up for it. I signed up in 2017. So I think and I was still above. I, I, I think I was ahead of most of the general public. that Probably, had been. yeah, probably. But yeah, um, I've been on it for five solid but, years now. And everybody followed you. I'm pretty sure I also downloaded this TV time app a couple of years ago <laughs> and then deleted it. So I don't even know where I saw it from. I think I just got like a just like an ad and I, I was always trying to find a ways to be more organized. The second thing that it does that I really like is when you log things, but you're not complete, it will give you like a watch now. So there's a watch list option um, and yes. there's a watch next and I haven't watched for a while. So my current shows that I'm watching, it has here in the queue so I don't forget to go and watch them and then fall right behind. So, for example, it this the watch next section for me right now. It says I have to watch the latest episode of Westworld. I have to watch the latest episode of Holy Murders. I have to watch the latest Better Call Saul. I have to watch the latest rehearsal. The latest two reservation dogs. Uh, my girlfriend and I are slowly making our way through Star Wars Rebels, which we've been working on for like a year and a half. So I'm uh, I have a season and a half of that left. Uh, it's always sunny, which I talked about last week. I am on, in the middle of season five of that. So I've got all those to go. It's got like a little bar at the bottom, too, that shows you your progress, too. So it's always sunny bars like halfway through, whereas like the Westworld where I'm one behind is almost all the way to the end. And then I have two episodes left of Tokyo Vice, uh, which I, is the HBO drama from Michael Mann. I like, too, that it, um, you, you know, you can add a show that there are a lot of shows that I've, you know, watched some parts of, but I have no interest in finishing. And, you know, they'll come up on your feed as like, well, you still have to finish um, Till Death, the Brad Garrett uh, sitcom that uh, from 2006 and you could swipe and just say like, no, I want to stop watching this. Yes. And you could do that. Yeah. The, the, the haven't watched for a while section right below it is really nice for that. Like, yeah, like I've seen isolated episodes of The Simpsons and The Simpsons is down there to remind me, hey, if you ever want to complete it one day, here it is. Uh, there's other things that I've watched 
parts of like i've watched half of community so communities down there in case i ever wanted to go back mm-hmm. to it how long have you been logging for on here 20 late 2018 probably so a couple of years oh i didn't know this i thought you started like today <laughs> no wow no 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 i've had this for a wow. long time I'm trying to keep it I'm, i've been trying to that's how i keep organized i have i keep organized with movies in different ways but this is how i keep my tv organized mm-hmm. um i have a feeling we talked about this before and you were either rejected or forgot about it because i do mm, tell people about this a lot about it. A lot of the, like I said, a lot of the time when I talk about it, people are like, I don't want to know how much TV I've watched. But I'm like, well, I do. So I do, too. It's the only thing. It's the only it's the only accomplishment I have. <laughs> um, so what are you watching in that case? Well, so one of the shows I just listed, I do want to talk about because there's a lot of discourse around the rehearsal. <laughs> have you watched any of the rehearsal? Yeah, I'm fully caught up. I have not seen the latest one, so I can't comment on that. But okay. So for those of you who don't know, the rehearsal is Nathan Fielder follow up to Nathan for you, which was a I don't know if I'd say wildly successful Comedy Central show, but definitely a cult following show. Yeah, it's a, it's like kind of still growing now. Yeah. And for Conan, those who- Conan O'Brien and BJ Novak on, on Conan's podcast, just a little bit bigger than ours, was um, just <laughs> saying um, how like they're they're still waiting for that show to they're predicting that that show will kind of blow up still, even though it's done. So so what it is is kind of. It's an Americanized version of Borat, where not, not that Borat wasn't Americanized, but Nathan Fielder in quote unquote character going around helping people solve their business problems, finding the strangest piece of people possible across America, slash, you know, bringing his awkward state to normal people and seeing how they react. Interesting. There's a lot of there's a lot of social commentary about whether what he does is ethical or not i'm not really interested in that discussion and i'm really not that interested in the discussion when it comes to the rehearsal too which is an hbo series where he kind of takes that idea of helping people with his awkward state and develops it into a process where these people literally rehearse these major moments in their lives like the the con the concept being that like we if we have a secret to tell someone or if we need to break up with a girlfriend or something like that. Like the the idea that we rehearse it so many times in our heads that why don't we make that literal and literally script down in a flow chart how conversations can go yeah. to the point where he gets, I would assume hundreds of thousands of dollars to build the actual sets of where these things are going to go down and buys extras and stuff like that, the time of extras. And it's, it's, it's a really compelling watch for multiple reasons. And I, I think for me, I, first of all, I think it's hysterical. I think it's a really funny idea. Um, but then you get the people who are like, well, is it funny if these people are being exploited? And then you you, you ask the question, well, these people knew what they were signing up for. Are they really being exploited? But it's very clear that he's trying to prove a point both about society and how we interact with each other and how we how we deal with our insecurities and project them to different scenarios and different outcomes. Uh, and he has made it incredibly meta with a running storyline throughout the season where he's part of one of the rehearsals uh, for this woman uh, who wants to learn how to raise a child without the help of like a spouse through childhood to all the way to adulthood, basically. Yeah. It, um, few things to what you said. One I would describe, uh, I always describe Nathan for you as um, the show, the profit is in P R O F I T on, on CNBC. Um, the guy just that goes and helps businesses. It's kind of it's kind of like a mockumentary or like a parody of that in a way. But it's like the the running joke is that Nathan just doesn't. All of his ideas are, are insane, and then but he gets real people to go through with him. It, um, this show definitely goes hand in hand with that. 
the kind of debate about like the ethicality of it is definitely it applies to both shows particularly applies here because i think here more than in nathan for you in nathan for you a lot of the jokes come from like these insane ideas that he has and and the way that people react to them and in this show there absolutely is like they're depicting you know people are laughing at these the, the people that he's working with i don't even want to call them characters and they are they're not doing anything to make jokes out of them but but the, the people are just funny <laughs> and so um you have to be a certain level of quirky to he he says we find a lot of these people on craigslist you have to be a certain amount of quirky do, yeah. to to so want to sign up for this so it is it's like i'm not that interested either in in the argument because um well two things one i i people were talking about like he's ethical or he's not and it's like but i'm both you know both can be true it's not like he's one or the other and also um one of my favorite um like stand-up specials or uh like kind of one-man shows is uh thank god for jokes mike perbiglia and it um his whole point in that is like it's it's a whole special filled with jokes about jokes and comedy and his whole point in that is like every joke is mean every joke hurts somebody usually or something that affect them. like so it is i i I just think if we start unraveling that thread like it more than you realize is is at somebody's expense um i do also feel guilt (laughs) when i watch it but um it definitely is an uncomfortable watch it's a hundred percent and you're supposed to be uncomfortable for you um but it's also it's so impressive i mean like you're saying i mean the the effort that is put into it the the planning and the, the commitment on hbo's part up front to have to commit to this show or the the risk that they took in having to commit to this show where the costs were probably going to spiral and it's a very unpredictable thing that you could wind up with something you're not going to finish like good on them for that um i would say the commitment is paying off just on the discourse alone which I mean, yeah, 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 yeah. But I just mean in the production before that show is finished filming, you know, when they're in episode two, they don't know where things are going to go. And right, like, where he where he takes the know. set from the first episode and literally transports it across the country. Yeah, he takes. And so apparently <laughs> that set, um, that the 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 first episode sees him rebuilding an entire bar, a real bar in Brooklyn. He rebuilds it on a set interior and exterior, professional one to one scale. And apparently that costs more money to build than the actual bar built, according to the owners of the bar, <laughs> than the actual bar cost. Yeah, and then but but they've been seeing a lot of business too from it. So I mean, no, yes. no publicity. The, the next is day bad. they were yeah. right. Um, we kind of talked about this with the Anne Hayes thing a little bit. I'm I'm not really interested in everybody's takes on every topic. Um, so I, I don't think everything needs to be demonized. I don't think everything needs to be villainized. Um, yeah, I, I these people were willing participants in this. Um, and some of the things they say, they it's the same thing as the Borat principle. Like, you are wanton to whatever you say on camera. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and I don't think, I think he's made more making fun of a general idea than he is these specific people. Yeah, and I would also, a lot of the, the, the mockery-based laughs or whatever, a lot of the laughs that come from, like, the weird quirks of the characters, are, I would bank on the fact that that's not stuff he expected. I think he expected to have a more straightforward show. Like, it would be a meaningful show in itself if they were much more traditional people. Um, Because the whole point is just the kind of like the futility of preparing for 
the entropy of life, right? And but he uh, there's like this whole other level just with the quirkiness of the people that he got. Um, so I'm sure he's rolling with it, but it's also not like he set out and was like, this is the show we're going to do. It's such, it's such a random part of the, that the, the show that, that, yeah, the concept, the quirkiness has nothing to do with the concept. Those, those make for some of the funniest moments though. Like his re he, he is so good at not breaking character, but there are moments where he, of genuine shock, like in episode two, this dude he meets who signs up to possibly help co-parent these child actors for, with yeah. this woman it's the, the weirdest this guy finds meaning in every number he says everything's a sign mm -hmm. he's willing to drive while vaping it's like he uh, nathan clearly feels unsafe with this person and then in the third episode you kind of have sympathy for this guy who's trying to tell his brother he's trying to tell his brother about like he wants the money from the trust after his dad died or grand grandpa, grandpa died. died um so he's trying to prepare for a tough conversation about that and this guy unprompted during the rehearsal uh, tells the actor playing his brother that he's being a Jew about it. And yeah. <laughs> Nathan's face yeah. when he says that is like, uh, maybe we don't say that. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> the rehearsal available, available on HBO and HBO Max. I believe it's only planned to be six episodes. So by the time you're listening to this, it'll probably be over its run or close to over its run. Oh, uh, okay. And that was five that just aired or that was four? That was four that okay. just aired. So I believe it's only six. Again, the TV time app can tell you. Um, wow uh it is six episodes so almost done um speaking in the meantime of, yeah speaking of almost done i'm watching this is what i'm watching better call saul the last episode airs next week penultimate episode aired yesterday i have not night. seen the penultimate one yet at the time of this I recording i have not because i am only on season five i'm one season behind so i'm trying to catch up almost two full seasons worth in the span of a week i have been i've been following it since started week by week uh because breaking bad again not a hot take or anything like that it's my favorite show ever so i was excited to see what they do and i think the show has surpassed any expectations i had for it whatsoever i think it's a mm -hmm. genuine masterpiece of television just like just like its predecessor uh but in a different way than its predecessor for the most part the the, the stuff you're about to get into definitely is closer to the you know spine curdling tension that breaking bad kind of evoked in its last couple seasons and I won't say anything more than that. Mm -hmm. I was wondering, I, I was getting the vibe just based on, you know, reviews I've per and reactions I've peripherally seen to season six on Twitter, um, that that's kind of what's happening. So I'm, I'm excited. Um, yeah, so I think we'll we'll talk about that more when it finishes, because I without spoilers, but I do want to talk. I do want to talk about in depth what makes the show work and why it could have gone wrong and why it so doesn't go completely. Wrong. I have a lot of thoughts about that. But for now, all right, to the main feature, you know, like when you go to the movies and it's like 45 minutes oh, of previews, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there might be people here that are actually here to listen to our thoughts on my best friend's wedding. Do you think we could get uh, Maria Menounos to do like a, a pre-roll ad at the beginning of our show? That's just like, that was a reference to her being in, in movie theaters. No, I get it. Yeah. I, I, I We talked a little bit about Maria Menounos yesterday, I think in our group chat. I don't remember if we talked about it in our group chat or not, but I talked about it with some of my friends. Maybe not you. Um, she has this new like trivia show in front of the movie. Yeah, newbie. Yeah. Yeah, but like it's not like they didn't like do trivia questions until recently. Oh, they okay. have like TikTok influencers on and they ask them trivia questions. Oh, and she I hate gets that. To, she gets to play like Trebek a little bit. Uh, what it has showcased to me is that she has one of the strangest laughs I've ever heard. <laughs> we'll have to look. I want you to look it up at some point because it's 
It's quite something. Okay. It, it, she sounds like a hyena. Like, like it's it's kind of charming. It's also a little cringy. It's, I like Marie Menounos a lot. There's something, there's, it, she feels like home, you know, <laughs> when you well, see her. Well, if I can find that, it's going to be inserted into this episode right yeah. here. <laughs> it, it, it's something. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, My Best Friend's Wedding is a prominent movie. One of the most prominent movies we've talked about, actually. Yeah. It's one of the, probably the most famous rom-coms of especially uh, definitely the 90s, maybe of all time. Mm -hmm. it, it, it fits really well in our wheelhouse that we were kind of developing at the beginning of this podcast where we were reviewing all the um, Sleepless in Seattle and You've Got Mail and Nora Ephron movies. Um, and now this isn't a Nora Ephron movie, but it's kind of cut from the same cloth a little bit. Yeah. Uh, My Best Friend's Wedding released in June of 1997. It was right in the middle of Julia Roberts' white hot streak. Like Julia Roberts was the the woman mm -hmm. in the 90s for these kind of movies. Of course, starting with Pretty Woman in 1990, you know, developing a long, a long time with movies like this and Runaway Bride and stuff like that. Um, it stars Julia Roberts, Durant Mulroney, of course, uh, Cameron Diaz, which I did not know until we watched the movie. Same. Uh, and Rupert Everett and Philip Bosco, who plays a very key role in this as well. And of course, he's the connector in our chain, as we found out, remember, 20 minutes ago. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Um, yeah, and this is the first time you've seen it, you said, right? Yeah, I'd never seen it before. Had so, you? I had not seen it. My only... Yeah, I thought I knew what the movie was. I, it was actually very different than what I thought it was. All I, all I knew is, like, the VHS cover of it was in my house because my mom would watch the movie, and I was like, this movie looks dumb, but it was very different than what I expected. So directed by P.J. Hogan, who this is by far the biggest movie he's ever made. He made a movie called Muriel's Wedding in 1994 that was really well received, starring Tony Collette and Rachel Griffiths. He also made the Confessions of a Shopaholic movie with uh, with Isla Fisher, uh, mm -hmm. which is a bad movie. Uh, he also made a, P a version of Peter Pan in 2003 with uh, Jason Isaacs as Captain Hook. Fun fact. Uh, written from a screenplay by Ronald Bass, uh, who won an Academy Award for Rain Man. Uh, so he had been around for a little bit at this point. He also wrote Sleeping with the Enemy, Dangerous Minds, Waiting to Exhale, What Dreams May Come, Swing Vote. Oh, not the Swing Vote with Kevin Costner, a different Swing Vote, excuse me. Uh, and then he recently wrote uh, my least favorite movie of this year, The King's Daughter. So how tough times. Yeah. Um, $38 million budget, made about $300 million worldwide. So clearly a big hit. Um, and then I, pro I promise I'll let you talk in a second. I'm just going to set, all up, the all good. set up the premise here. Uh, Julie Roberts plays uh, Jules Potter. Uh, she has been best friends with Michael O'Neill, who is the uh, sports writer in Chicago. They've been best friends since college. They were a fling in college and kind of decided that they were better at friend as friends. Well, she kind of did. She kind of broke his heart. He calls her uh, as they are approaching their 28th birthday, which if Julie Roberts is what 28 year olds look like back in the day, like yeah. she, Julie Roberts has looked the same for 30 years. Yeah. It was yeah. really weird for her to say that as her and Dermot Moroni's characters move towards their 28th birthday. They kind of promised they'd be together if they were still single by then. She, he calls her. She thinks this is going to be the call uh, and like sub, subconsciously and subliminally starts to get really excited for it. Um, and then she finds out that he is engaged and going to marry uh, this woman, Kimmy, played by Cameron Diaz, in a couple of days. Um, she comes from this affluent family. Uh, her father is the owner of the Chicago White Sox, um, which brings up a like a plot thing that I want to bring up in a little bit, given his profession and whether he should be dating 
the owner of the Chicago White Sox and writing about sports. Um, okay. That's kind Fair. of a conflict of interest, in my opinion, but I will get into that. And basically, Jules goes to this wedding. She's asked to be the maid of honor by Kimmy, who's trying to either keep her close or, you know, m- mend these kind of awkward bridges. It's it's a little bit of both throughout the movie. Uh, and Julie Roberts kind of decides, I'm going to break them up and be with this guy, mm-hmm. um, which is a very interesting tactic that she takes and an interesting tactic that the movie makes because, Nick, nominally... You would think with these rom-coms, you would want to root for these two to get together. But the movie does a really interesting thing where it doesn't exactly villainize Cameron Diaz's character. It actually villainizes Julia Roberts' characters a lot of points. It's it's a smartly written movie that I think I understand why it has kind of stood the test of time because it exists on its own little atmosphere and doesn't exactly fall into formula too much. Huh. 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 That is, I mean, that hits at the heart of my reaction to it, which uh, I guess I'm interested in in where it villainized her, because um, I really didn't give much thought to if it was villainizing her or not. But I, it, it certainly was not like, just going into it blindly. It was not what I expected. Uh, her character was not what I expected her to be, or rather, her arc was not. Her intentions were not. Um, but um, the, her and her, you know her not not what it's saying about her, but what she's doing and why it's a movie was is very much kind of like a question that I had largely throughout this. So, where do you think it? I mean, from the moment she gets there, she's trying to undermine Kimmy as this immature, petulant child. Um, they go to the, they go to this karaoke bar, and she's clearly uncomfortable singing karaoke, and she still eggs on the crowd to make Cameron Diaz sing in front of this crowd knowing that she she might bomb and she kind of yeah. does bomb but she overcomes it and that's kind of the, the pattern that the movie goes through is her trying to make Cameron Diaz's character look bad or very immaturely putting driving a wedge between her and Dermot Moroni mm-hmm. and trying to see if that'll leave an opening for her to steal Dermot Moroni away if she wasn't played by Julia Roberts America's sweetheart she would be the catty bitch in all these rom-coms that usually is a supporting character trying to break up our two lo- leads uh-huh See, that's interesting because you're making me wonder if, you know, I just kind of assumed throughout watching it. I was asking myself the question throughout watching it of like, why does this movie expect me to be on Julia Roberts' side? But now I'm realizing, is that just an assumption I brought into the movie based on what I imagined Julia Roberts in any rom-com that she was in at that time to be, you know what I mean? Like, I, I did I did I go into this and just say, well, I'm watching another Julia Roberts movie where she's supposed to be this person we all just effortlessly love. Um, and I think I think it wants you to think that. And then as the movie goes on, you, I, it, I, in my opinion, it kind of showed its hand as like, oh no, it doesn't want you to think that. It want it wanted you to come in with those expectations. But then realize as the movie goes along that she is not she's not the protagonist of this story. Mm-hmm. She is because she's Julia Roberts, uh, but she's not because of her actions. That is interesting. That is an interesting. You know, a lot of this, this is like a weird thing, but I find that a lot of the ways that I perceive movies, this doesn't just go for movies. It goes for albums from bands and, and a lot of the way that I perceive and recollect movies and albums and stuff is based upon like the art the cover art the the poster and things like that and in this case it was a very flowery movie poster that i was very familiar with from the vhs like being in my house but i'd never seen it and i was like this movie looks so boring 
And so in, in some sense, I kind of just like, that's you know, so not fair. <laughs> it, no, 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 exactly. So I'm not saying it's fair, but I'm, what I'm saying is I think that I de, I think that, you know, I don't, I didn't knowingly detach though these kind of like, um, preconceptions I had about it before watching the movie. Maybe I don't, I don't know if that makes sense. It's, you know, I'd like to, I wonder how I would have perceived this movie if I went into it one, not ever having seen promotion for it. And two, not knowing that it was called my best friend's wedding, because obviously I know what that movie is. Um, it is like an iconic movie. Um, I kind of wish I was just shown it without that to, to not have these. So I don't know. I, I will accept that it, you know, okay. You know, it's not like, I know it's not celebrating her. I will accept that. Okay. Maybe you're even supposed to actively dislike what she's doing as the movie goes on. I'm still, I, I suppose lost as to kind of the point of it at the end and how it's wrapped up. So I, I kind of want to amend something I said a couple minutes ago. Um, she is the protagonist of the movie. She's not the hero of the movie. That there, there's a difference, obviously, as we talked a lot about the term protagonist when we talked about Tenant. Um, she is, she is. The story is about her. It is, but she is not 100% the unfallible hero. We don't. For me, in, it was fallible. Infallible. For me, it was kind of like it, I wasn't hate watching it, but I was like, I, I, they really should not end up together. First of all, she already had her chance and blew it. Second of all. She's she's being horrific as she breaks apart this um, conflict or she breaks apart this marriage. Uh, and then also she's being constantly told by the other main character of the movie, uh, Rupert Everett's character, um, the gay best friend of the time, played by, like I said, played by Rupert Everett, George Downs. He kind of comes in and is her voice of reason, telling her constantly what where she needs to be headed on the path forward. Uh, and then she has that moment where she takes it a bridge too far. Uh, where she literally, you know, literally kisses him on the day of his wedding. Uh, and it becomes a whole conflict there. And then it's it's about her growth and her change and that kind of period in your mid-20s where maybe you had a wistful thought about the one that got away and you need, you, you need to let it go. This is a drastic rom-com circumstance of an awakening of kind of moving on. You know, I, I, I think my issue here is I... I kind of don't buy that she had that awakening. I buy that she realized the destruction she caused and the people she hurt, but I don't buy, it just feels like a very convenient wrap up, overly convenient for a movie like this to me, but I don't know. I, I Yeah, I don't know if I would agree with that. I think, I don't think you need to see her full on change and transformation by the end. I think you need to see the step. The she's taking, of she's it. taking step, yeah. step not to recovery, but step one to this this new chapter that she's going forward right. with. She makes the sacrifice of letting him go and doing everything she can to go find Cameron Diaz and re reconcile that relationship mm -hmm. between the two of them. Yeah, that's certainly fair. Now, one other thing. And I have this movie. There's a lot of movies. It's a common trope of everything going wrong leading up to the wedding and, and the wedding almost not happening. And then it happens and like, yay. And that's the end of the movie. Um, every time that happens in a movie, particularly in this one, I always, I can, I only half enjoy the ending of the happy wedding because I'm like, 
they still ruined that person's entire wedding day. Like, I would be so mad if I had to remember that that, that was my wedding day forever. Like, yeah, yeah. And that stresses me out. This is strictly a personal thing. That is, I, I, it makes me cringe when I think about it. That's the rom-com tax, though. I mean, yeah, rom-coms all exist in a fabrication of reality. They're, sure. They're heightened versions of a fantasy and or or of a of a so, life of a life lesson. Yeah. There 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 are realistic rom-coms like 500 Days of Summer or there are these kind of rom-coms. Like you you've but, got mail is exactly that too. Yeah, and the, the, this really what I was thinking about while watching this is the com- the, the the conversation that we had during Sleepless in Seattle and then I think again during You Got Mail which is um, a lot of rom-com. There, there are these movies where the plot, so separating it from this case, because we're, we're saying like, you know, okay, uh, the, the movie's trying to kind of not villainize, but but it's not um, approving of what Julie Roberts is doing. Go back to Sleepless in Seattle, you've got mail. The plot of the movie is like, you know, isn't this pursuit so romantic when really it's like, well, these are the actions of of a deranged person. And in this movie, now, you know, now I'm thinking about it a little differently that you're saying, you you know, you're not supposed to be on her side. Um, But it is that too. It's just like, it's, it's, this is a really unhealthy person (laughs) or something. You can tax this in a lot of rom-coms, like those two movies we're talking about specifically. Sleeps in Seattle, an engagement falls apart to a very sweet guy. Yeah. With the, with the, um, the Bill Pullman character. But like from the certain perspective, you know, it takes place. Like I said, it takes place in a fantasy where you're rooting for these two characters to come together. The, the rule, the rules don't apply. So like that kind of stuff doesn't bother me per se. Uh, it, it it bothers me when things get too sticky and antiky. Like I could have done without her drive, like stealing the. I, the that stealing was one the of my truck favorite parts. Was the catering truck? Yeah, with, it was with just like no cops just feels anywhere. Like a here. Right. Yeah. I so, but it does, and I think I you know mentioned this in, in Sleepless in Seattle episode too. But the Take her, you know, there's a point where she um, breaks into, I believe it's Cameron Diaz's dad's office, right? And is writing an email to try to get Dermot fired. Yeah, right. And that action is, it. this is just an interesting, I'm not even sure I have a point with this, but this, that action, her doing that could, would also exist in the universe of the Netflix show, the Lifetime of Netflix show, You. And that is something that Joe, that Penn Badgley, would be doing in that show. But they're very different. They're very different, um, you know, depictions of the same action, um, because he is. That is a dark look at like a twisted mind, right? And, I think I think that's why obsessive. Right. And this is not now. Maybe it is vilifying it more than I understood it to. But either way, it's just. It remains weird to me to see it in like a light movie. <laughs> I, I think I think the movie is very clear that she's in the wrong. I think it's clear that she's in the wrong, but I don't know that it's I don't know. I think it you're you know, look, round comes have to use this, like you said, heightened. Um, these kind of heightened circumstances, but it kind of feels like it uses them and doesn't uh apologize for it or uses them and doesn't i think if you're going to use them i want to see it go darker then like i want to see the i want to see the effects get more real or something yeah. if it is a movie that's turning if sleep is seattle that's my complaint in this case if it's a movie where like you said it's kind of turning the rom-com on its head i think i want to see it turned more then 
is my point. Yeah, I don't I don't think that existed at the time, to be honest. I don't think the subversive rom-com or the realistic rom-com mm-hmm. was even in play at this point. This was not what audiences were clamoring for at the time. But I hear what you're saying because there are a lot of good movies that do that now that kind of talk about the fallout and consequences of actions like this. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to read an excerpt here from Roger Ebert's review on the movie. He gave it three out of four stars. Um, and it kind of it brought a lot of what I'm saying into perspective here. Since Julianne, a famous food critic, is played by the luminous Julia Roberts, we all know how this movie will end, right? Not necessarily. One of the pleasures of Ronald Bass's screenplay is the way it subverts the usual comic formulas that would fuel a plot like this. It makes the Julia Roberts character sympathetic at first, but eventually her behavior shades into cruel meddling. It gives Kimmy Wallace the fiancé goodness and warmth instead of a ditzy facade. It makes Michael an intelligent player in the drama rather than the easily manipulated male we might expect. So it, it, it appeared to be a little bit of ahead of its time in that context. I, I'm defending this movie more than I think I mean to come off of. I, I found this movie decent. I thought it was good. I liked the setup more than I and the, and like the follow through more than I enjoyed watching scene to scene because mm-hmm. it's very it, it is very cheesy and it's there there are sequences that are like kind of cringy for me and I, certainly not the target demographic for some of these this is basically a musical like sneakily like there's the whole sequence where Cameron Diaz sings the karaoke yes. bar and then yeah. Rupert Everett comes in and leads this big say a little prayer for you sing along uh, as he comes in to help her as she is trying to tell Dermot Moroni that she's in love with him. But instead, she ends up telling him that Rupert Everett is her fiance and just makes that up and kind of makes the lies grow deeper. Um, so, yeah, I, I, like some of this, some of those sequences didn't really connect. That whole thing was kind of we're stretching the we're stretching the realms of reality here. Like how how come she never mentioned she was engaged when she came in? Like, why is nobody questioning this? The, the bending over backwards with all the lies and the deceit and everything and. You know, it, it is far from a perfect movie. It's far from my favorite movie ever. But I, I thought it passed the litmus test of whether I could enjoy it as a rom-com or just be turned off by the concept. Yeah, you know, it's it's it's. I'm really thinking about how any kind of preconceived misconceptions about rom-coms may have affected my viewing of the movie rather than just viewing it for the story that it is. But I I thought it was fine, and I don't see, mean to seem like I'm attacking the movie more more than I am. But but I thought it was fine. I was kind of surprised that like, it wasn't the movie I expected it to be, which is good. But I also, I don't know, I was kind of surprised that, like, oh, this is a movie everybody likes. So, uh, and like, I, a large part of that is just in the shtickiness of it and the, ooh, now she's stealing a catering van and, like, now they're singing and all this. Um, but it also, it felt, something about it felt, the energy of it felt a little flat to me at times. And I don't know, maybe that's just a very 90s kind of flat directing style or something, but it just felt a little flat. Um, I understand I'm not only in the minority, I'm probably just wrong because it is a loved movie. But I thought a lot, I thought all of the four central leads brought the energy that they needed to. Like Julia Roberts does a really nice job here. Again, kind of playing her type, but in a different way um, than maybe usual. She has pretty good chemistry with Dermot Moroni. Cameron Diaz, I think is really good, like really good in this supporting role mm-hmm. um, because that that role is tricky because uh, kind of as Mr. Ebert pointed out, you, you need to you need to hope that she is the one that ends up with Dermot Mulroney and like understand that she's a likable person despite all the baggage that comes with her of her being this affluent child, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think she nails that. And I think Rupert Everett is great as the voice of reason. They don't really lean too much into the, you know, mm, girl kind of like like gay best friend thing of it that a lot of sitcoms and stuff were doing at that time. Mm -hmm. 
I, I think he, as an actual person, which is a big compliment to him, and their relationship is very important between him and Julia Roberts. Um, so I thought they brought the energy that maybe the movie was lacking in jokes or dialogue or memorable things like that beyond just these random sing-alongs. Yeah. It felt... It was a very muted experience to me overall for the most part, but, you know, just not what I thought it was going to be. That's, that's, it's not what I, I didn't hate it. I, I really, I didn't hate it, but I was, I, I watched it and I was, okay. It was a really nice travelogue for Chicago too, at the very least. I think in the greater Chicago White Sox canon, this is below Field of Dreams for me. Wow, the sky is really pretty right now outside of your apartment. I'm looking the other way, so I can't see it. Very fire red in the sky. It is. Can confirm. Uh, See, that's the kind of pop of color I was looking for in this movie. It just felt like a very, really visually felt like a muted palette. And cinematically, it felt just flat. I'm not talking about the acting, but I'm talking about the directing, I think. It's pretty funny how these 90s movies have a lot of old tech and integrate it. Like like her hacking into computers takes like 10 minutes. (laughs) Something about a power book is like uh, is discussed a lot in terms of Excel sheets and stuff like that or. It's, it's it's odd. Uh, the movie has a kind of a awkward flow as it transitions to the third act, but I thought it wrapped up nicely. Um, you know, they all everybody reconciles. She lends out the song that was her and Michael's, which I mean, if you weren't a couple, you really shouldn't have a song, I guess. She lends out someday. Um, that can be their wedding song and they dance to it. And then Rupert Everett somehow ends up at the wedding and to comfort her as she loses. I thought she lends out the way you look tonight. Yeah, it is the way you look tonight. Does that start with a someday? Maybe. Someday. When I'm old and gray. I think so. Yeah. That's probably what it's called. Yeah. yeah, Yes. But yeah, and I did like that part. I thought that was kind of clever and cute. The like, you you know, you're borrowing this song. I kind of like that. Um, It was taking this meaningful thing. It was in a way it's kind of just saying like, so what about it? You know, like giving you the song. But um, um, I also was torn on like the, as you were about to say, I think the next part of it that really like ends it like the final scene right where um you know she gets a phone call and what's his name Dermot Mulroney no 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 Rupert Everett Rupert Everett Rupert Everton and Rupert Everett Everton Everett Everett okay you're talking about the you're talking about Prince Charming from Shrek 2 you better tread lightly here you got the Shrek files okay because Rupert Everton is like an alias that Michael Scott comes up with Rupert Everett. Um, I think that's the joke is that he's okay. he's basing it off of Rupert Everett. Oh, okay. Um, well, I'll have to go back and laugh at that then. Yeah, um, you know, Julie Roberts gets a call from him and um, he's at the wedding and they dance together and he's there for her. It's nice. Um, you know, a part of me was torn because like I felt kind of like I wanted to know more about what happens to her character. But at the same time, I also really appreciate that it doesn't force any ending there. And instead is realistic that there is no ending there, except that she now has to move on, right? And just seek the comfort of friends in the meantime. So that they're, they're you know. This is the type of, this them. is the type of movie that would ruin any kind of growth in the sequel. They would, My Best Friend's Wedding 2 would be about them two years later. They pick it up two years later and Cameron Diaz and Dermot Mulroney and Cameron Diaz is pregnant. Yeah. And Julia Roberts is back and she decides that, oh, just kidding. I want I, I want him again. And yeah. it, would, it would go through the exact same character development. Very, <laughs> very similar to the Meet the Parents trilogy. Yeah. Where I, it's very good that they did not return to this, in my opinion. Um. Any other major thoughts on this? No. 
Philip Bosco is, like I said, Walter Wallace. He is Cameron Diaz's father. He owns the, the White Sox. Kind of alluded to this at the beginning, but this movie's treatment of Michael O'Neill's job as a sports writer is very interesting. One, because Julia Roberts refers to it constantly as not an adult job, which is crazy in today's age. Yeah. Like, that's, it's a very legitimate job. And even so, then, I mean... Everybody Loves Raymond was on the air at that time. That's about a sports writer. Yeah. He's an adult. And what the fuck does she do? She's a food critic. <laughs> like, what is she, what, how does she? How, how does she have the the bandwidth <laughs> to criticize him? <laughs> we see him doing more work in the movie than she does. She just get up, <laughs> up and leaves her job at the, at the beginning. But She's anyway, the one who acts like a child. And also, he should not. But, but having said that, he also should not be allowed to be a sports writer in the Chicago area if he is dating the owner of the White Sox. Well, you know, dating the father of the owner of the White Sox. I mean, like, like, uh, let me pitch you a scenario that you don't care about at all. But like, if the White Sox have lost 15 games in a row uh, and it comes out, there's a big sexual harassment scandal at in in the front office of the White Sox. You think Dermot Moroney's character is is qualified to write that story without bias? No, no. Would he write it, though? I don't know. I mean, that's a whole other movie and that's probably something. Yeah, that, that's Spotlight 2. That's probably the threequel of that movie. My best friend's wedding with the three instead of the E in Friends. And, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I really like Cameron Diaz's character intro where they immediately establish her spunkiness when she's just this horrifically dangerous driver, like swerving in yeah, and out of yeah. traffic as, she, as she's talking to Julia Roberts. And I thought that was just a fun kind of a, a fun intro to her um this has a really romantic like low-key score uh i really like james newton howard's work in here uh particularly when they're on the boat going under that bridge that every chicago movie has to show um i can't remember of it right now but it is like the most the most famous bridge in chicago the chicago trestle yes is that actually what it's called no okay uh and then i we this, this is the third straight week with a major actor in a small role you remember which one I'm going to talk about here? Yes, I do. I knew he was in this, and I actually didn't know it was a small role. I, I was expecting to see him a bunch. Paul Giamatti. Yes. yes. Literally in a minute and a half of this movie, he plays a bellman who kind of uh, helps Julia Roberts in a tough moment just yeah. vibe out. You know, a weird corner of knowledge in my brain is most movies Paul Giamatti was in. Um, if you told me the movie, I could tell you, like, oh, yeah, I think I could confirm he was in that because uh, I... In college one day, I wrote a rap about Paul Giamatti where I just try to shoehorn in as many movies as possible, like punnily shoehorn them in. <laughs> and uh, I'll show it to you sometime. It's amazing. But it's got to be off mic. It sounds great to me. Been so good. Definitely looking forward to that. And you're definitely not going to forget to send that to me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think that's it for My Best Friend's Wedding. I would give it a, I would give it a thumbs up. Uh, maybe not two, but definitely one thumb. I'd give it a fist bump because I'm not I'm not going down or up for it. Are you exploding the fist bump off or is it just like a straight fist bump? I'm just I'm just fist bumping because it's not this or it's not this. So it's just this. Oh, it's neutral. Yeah. yeah it's like I said last week on my uh, talking about there goes my baby uh, kind of mixed neutral on it. Does that sound right? Yeah. 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 Mixed neutral. All right. Well, until the next rom-com, we're talking about something very different next week as we take Philip Bosco and we move over to Anne Heche who we discussed, obviously, at the beginning. Um, we are going to be talking about an HBO drama dealing with <laughs> the Attica prison riots. <laughs> it could not be more different than My Best Friend's <laughs> Wedding. Uh, it's called Against the Wall. It's got Samuel Jackson and Kyle McLaughlin in it. Um, so we will be talking about that next week. It is so dark in here. 
uh, in between episodes, <laughs> we are going to turn the light on because I can it, like I didn't. You, yeah, it, we it's one of those things. It takes me a long time to realize that a room has gotten dark. We started recording at like 715, 720, uh, and the sun has since gone down. It's now 824. Um, and I, I literally can't see Nick's face. <laughs> it's funny. <laughs> like, like your screen doesn't glow enough that oh, I, I, I literally okay, yeah. can't see it. Um, so until next time, that'll that'll complete Chain 13 next week. For Drew Auger, that's my name. For Nick Ricardo, <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I, I'm Drew Auger. The chain continues. Rip Papuli, Rip Tony, and Rip Ray. Rip Ray.